Well, this is by far the strangest Palm Sunday that I have ever observed. Until now, I had always thought that Palm Sunday 2013 would be the weirdest one that I've ever seen. I was serving in Iowa at the time, and a blizzard hit the town that weekend. I had never seen snow on Palm Sunday before. And so the day before, in a fit of mischievous photoshopping, I began to imagine what it would look like for Jesus to arrive into Jerusalem in a blizzard, riding on a snowmobile. But today is by far a stranger Palm Sunday than that. What is Palm Sunday without a crowd? I mean, if Jesus were to make a triumphal entry here today and no one was in the sanctuary, would it even make a sound? How can we celebrate Palm Sunday and the events of Holy Week if we are not physically together? But maybe, if we really think about it, maybe this is a pretty meaningful way to observe Holy Week after all. Because the overall story of this final week of Jesus' life, after all, is all about separation and social distancing. It starts on Palm Sunday with a crowd, but as every day went by, that crowd would grow smaller and smaller and smaller. And by the end of the week, on Good Friday, every person had fallen away. Let's just track through the stories, and you'll discover that the stories of Holy Week are about the crowds slowly distancing and separating out. On Monday, the very next day, all four Gospels record the accounts of what Jesus did. He walked right into the temple so that, and right into the corruption of those who had turned a place of worship into a place of economic injustice, and he turned over the tables of the money changers, and he made a lot of enemies that day. And so the crowds of Palm Sunday grew a little bit smaller that day. Then on the very next day, on Tuesday, well, that's when Judas had his fateful meeting with the religious authorities. For reasons that are ultimately unrevealed in the Gospels, Judas agreed, agreed to betray Jesus for a paltry sum of 30 pieces of silver. His group of devoted followers, those disciples, they went from 12 down to 11 that day. And the Palm Sunday crowd grew a little bit smaller on Tuesday. And then if we skip to Thursday, by the time we get to Thursday, Jesus is basically down to his closest and most loyal friends. It was in an upper room where Jesus decided to share one final meal. And Jesus could sense what was coming among those disciples. He could sense that those disciples were beginning to drift. Over the course of that dinner, he could hear them arguing about who was the greatest among them, about who would get to sit in the place of privilege next to Jesus, about which one of them was going to betray him, about which one of them were going to stay loyal to them until the very end. The social distancing that started on Palm Sunday became a theological distancing by his closest friends. And so, before those disciples would scatter completely, Jesus took the opportunity to give them a few final commands, a few final words of encouragement in the hopes that they would remember it. 
And that's always the key. When, when you're hoping that someone remembers the valuable lesson that you're trying to teach them, you, you resort to anything, even the most clever mnemonic devices. And so that's what Jesus did in the upper room. He coupled those important lessons with some objects that he would hope would cement those valuable commandments in their mind. The first thing that he wanted to tell those disciples was that all this backbiting had to stop. That all of this one-upsmanship had no place in the kingdom of God or in the heart of Christian character. He wanted to tell them that it was love, not hatred, not competition. It was love that was at the center of it all. And so he cemented that lesson with an object. He took a basin of water and he took a towel and in the middle of supper he got up and he did the most astonishing thing. He washed his disciples' feet. He served them. He was basically saying, look guys, it's very possible that you might wind up forgetting everything else that I'm going to say tonight, but here's the one thing that I want you to remember. Love. It's the greatest commandment, fellas. Love. And then there was a second lesson he wanted them to remember. He wanted to teach them that night that he would always be with them. And he wanted them to remember what he would do for them on the cross. So after he put down that basin and that towel, he picked up an ordinary piece of bread. And he picked up an ordinary cup of wine. And after saying a blessing, he blessed them with a reminder that no matter what they would go through for all time, he would always be with them, even when times got tough. Ultimately, that is what Jesus told his disciples on that last night, hoping they would remember it. And you know what? It's the very same things that Jesus is telling us today, even during this Holy Week, even in the midst of our own social distancing. These three lessons, love one another, God is with you, and Jesus gave his life for you. It's worth remembering. If only we would remember it, especially during these times of stress and anxiety. But you know, it's only Thursday at this point, and that Palm Sunday crowd would grow smaller even still. Later that Thursday night, Jesus brought with him just three of those disciples. Now we're down to three, Peter, James, and John. He took them to an isolated spot in a garden called Gethsemane, and it's there that Jesus gave those three disciples one final command. Stay with me, he said. Remain by my side. Stay awake. Don't fall away but they didn't. I mean, as you might have expected by now, even they began to fall away. They drifted asleep. They did not stay awake and stay with them. They fell asleep, leaving Jesus to pray in the isolation of his own blood-stained brow, leaving Jesus alone in that garden to pray to his heavenly Father for the rest of that evening. And Jesus would pray a tortured prayer, offering to God the full anxiety of his heart about the torment that he surely knew was coming. And then he was arrested, and then he was brought before the religious authorities, and then the civil authorities, and then there was one final step of social distancing, one final tragic moment of theological separation. 
it's here that we find Peter. Just Peter. One last time. Surely, if there was anyone who would stay with Jesus until the very end, it would be him. From the Palm Sunday crowd to the thinning of the masses in the temple the next day to the squabbling disciples in the upper room to the sleepy-eyed threesome in the Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, surely Peter, surely Peter would not distance himself from Jesus as well, would he? But then a rooster crowed just as Jesus predicted. And Peter's denial of ever knowing Jesus meant that he was the last person to fall away. You know what? Maybe starting Holy Week in an empty sanctuary is not a meaningless idea after all. Because regardless of how the original Holy Week started with a big crowd, it would end here just Jesus on a cross, all by himself, without a single person remaining by his side. You know, as we go through this Holy Week together, you're going to have lots of time by yourself, apart from the crowds, apart from most everyone else, and there will be time for you to spend at the foot of the cross pondering what Jesus means for you. Just you and Jesus. It will be quiet. You'll reflect on the scars on his hands and the, the piercing in his side and the, the crown of thorns pushed on his head. But mostly, you'll reflect on his heart. A heart that literally burst with love for you. On May 21st, 1738... A young Anglican priest named Charles Wesley was reading a biblical commentary written by Martin Luther on the book of Galatians. It happened to be Pentecost Sunday. After reading those words by Luther and the power of Paul's words to the Galatians, it was as if Charles were right there by himself with Jesus, staring at the foot of the cross, looking up at his Lord, and it was at that moment, just him and Jesus, that would change his life forever. Later, he would write in his journal that he felt, quote, the Spirit of God striving within his spirit, till by degrees God chased away the darkness of his unbelief. He said, I found myself convinced that I now find myself at peace with God and rejoiced in hope of loving Christ. Charles Wesley was a songwriter, as you may know. And so he began doing what he did best. He picked up a pen and he began to write a song that would eventually become one of the greatest hymns in the history of Methodism. A hymn that captured the fullness of that moment for him the stirring of his heart as he pondered what it was like to be all alone with Jesus in that moment when every other facet of his life had been stripped away and the great hymn, And Can It Be, was born. And can it be that I should gain 
and interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain for him who for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? And by the way, Charles had a brother. You may have heard of him. His brother's name was John. And just three days later, after Charles Wesley had a conversion experience, John Wesley had one of his own on a street called Aldersgate in a church where he would feel his heart strangely warmed. And then something amazing began to happen. God started to build up the crowds again. It first was just John and Charles Wesley, and then it was a handful of them, and then it was a handful of handfuls of them, and eventually that movement that would become Methodism would, would become small groups that would eventually become a large crowd and numerous large crowds coursing through the streets of London and into the open-air countrysides of the English nation and eventually would even cross the pond to shape who we are today. If the events of Holy Week are about a large crowd experiencing social distancing and eventually falling away, then God is in the business, always in the business, of reassembling those people and gathering together and building up that crowd once again. Because starting this Sunday, we will see it in reverse. Because God always has a knack for building up the crowds on the other side of the resurrection. This pandemic will come to a close. This misery is only temporary. And there will be a day again when the crowds will regather. And if you want proof of that, then join us this week in our Holy Week services, but absolutely join us next Sunday because we will see God begin to gather the crowds again. It'll begin with just a handful of women at the empty tomb, and then we will see again those disciples who had fallen away and eventually it will grow to a crowd gathered at the moment of his ascension, and then it will burst to new life with a huge crowd on the day of Pentecost. As hard as these days might be for you and me, it's all just temporary. There will be joy and gladness and new life and crowds again because of the resurrection. We just have to spend a little bit of time this week alone, with Jesus at the foot of the cross and hearing these words from him. Don't fall away. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this week that changed the world. It is still changing our lives.
May your spirit guide and govern our hearts and our minds to reorient us back to your son, Jesus, who loved us so much that he gave his life for us. And though we might feel distant from one another, help us to feel your proximity as close to us as our own breath so that we can join together on Easter morning to sing together that Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let all God's people say and let all God's people type, amen.